Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Previously on Breaking Basketball. I mean, like I always said, never have goals. I mean, just because I think goals is uh, make you feel pressure, make you feel nervous. We had a great year last year, which is which is cool. A lot of records, blah, blah, blah. It's over. Things can change quickly in the NBA, so we got to make sure that, you know, uh, our human nature is our biggest opponent. Don't be satisfied. There is a traffic jam at the three spot. We've, we kind of saw the, uh, you know, it's been the talk. There's an open competition uh, at Small Forward. Uh, we have two more opportunities on live games to continue to see who that starting Small Forward is going to be for us. It's been said that sports don't build character, they reveal it. Perhaps Michael Malone has something like that in mind in the lead up to the Nuggets 2019-2020 regular season. What are you going to do when everybody else wants what you want? Houston wants it, Portland wants it, and Golden State's saying, hey, everybody's forgetting about us. So you know what? For me, it's about, if you're serious about that, you got to bring it every day. You got to rise and grind every day. You got to outwork people. You got to earn it. You've won champions. No one's going to give it to us. You got to earn it. And I, I, and I think starting tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, we have to start earning it. And I'm looking forward to that challenge. And I'm looking forward to that journey. But going into the season, a lot of talking heads are ready to just give the Nuggets the West. Are these young Nuggets now title contenders? I think they are, and I think they have to be one of the favorites. Um, one of the smartest things that Tim Connolly could have done with this team was keep this group intact. All these teams now have made all these moves, and a couple teams have that certainty. I think Utah, Portland, and this Denver team. And the beauty of Denver's situation, when you look at their best players, again, we don't know what their ceiling is. As good as Jokic was, he still has yet to play his best basketball. The optimism makes sense. The Nuggets earned valuable playoff experience the year before. They added talent, and they're healthy. But there's an intangible that always has to be accounted for when trying to predict a Nuggets season. Nug life. If the Nuggets, their fans, and the podcasters who cover them think this is going to be a cakewalk into the finals, they are all in for a serious wake-up call. You're listening to Breaking Basketball, a Nug Life story, brought to you by The Dig, a Denver Stiffs podcast. Opening night in the NBA features the likely contenders stepping forward. The Clippers take out their SoCal rivals, the Lakers, relatively easily, even though they are without Paul George. The Sixers, Bucks, Jazz, and Raptors also look strong on opening night. The Nuggets open their regular season in Portland. The game is a rematch of the Western Conference Finals from the year before, where the Nuggets lost Game 6 and then Game 7 on their home court to drop the series. On the heels of that series and two preseason games against the Blazers, 
the Nuggets are ready for a bit of payback. But if there was any doubt about the difficulty they would face as frontrunners, the game would quickly put that to rest. Jokic's early foul trouble forces Coach Malone to sit him for nearly the entire first half. As Jokic strides off the court, Nuggets fans hold their collective breath. Jokic often struggles to keep his emotions in check. He had been ejected and suspended the previous year for arguing fouls, and Malone had called out the Nuggets star on more than one occasion. To his credit, Joker keeps his cool. As frustrating as this start is for the All-Star, he calmly asks a question of the ref, and he takes his seat. It seems Jokic has perhaps turned a corner, keeping his emotions in check and his head in the game. Whether he realizes it in that moment or not, these opening minutes are a reminder. Jokic is not going to get superstar calls this season. Fairly or not, he still has to earn the whistle. Thanks to a solid effort from Barton, Millsap, and the bench, the Nuggets are able to survive long enough for Jokic to get back into the flow of the game. He dominates the final quarter, ending with 20 points and 12 rebounds, and the Nuggets leave Portland 1-0. They struggle to find an offensive rhythm, but manage to scrape out a 6-1 start. Their first big test of the young season comes on November 8th when the Philadelphia 76ers roll into the Pepsi Center. The Sixers are off to a hot start, having won each of their first seven games. Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons look dominant, and the Sixers show early signs of championship-level defense. With incredible length up and down their roster, the Sixers can roll out lineups capable of switching at every position. From the opening tip, it seems obvious that the Sixers' length and athleticism is going to be a lot for the Nuggets to handle. Tobias Harris gets off to a scorching start, hitting four of five, including two threes to put the Sixers up by 11 in the first. By halftime, the Nuggets are within seven, but the game does not feel that close. Millsap and Barton struggle to contain Philly's athletic forwards, and Jokic picks up several fouls trying to defend Embiid one-on-one, which forces Malone to start doubling. Harris takes advantage of the increased space, going off again in the third quarter for 14 points and giving the Sixers a lead they will never give up. The Nuggets suffer their first big loss, 121-109, to in a game that really wasn't that close. The early season test is a good barometer for this young team. After the game, Coach Malone has strong words for his guys. Uh, it was uh, giving them credit. You know, they made the shots, but uh, we had uh, breakdown after breakdown after breakdown. Uh, you know, one of the guys is seven threes in the game, and we're still closing out there short, and that can surprise when he makes a three. Uh, I'm not really understanding that. So a lot of personnel uh, and game plan breakdowns, lack of discipline tonight. So uh, you have to be able to execute. You have to be able to take care of the basketball, not throw the ball to the other team and fuel their break for seven points in the fourth quarter. Uh, and then offensively, uh, aside from the turnovers, somebody's got to step up and make a big shot. The team takes these words to heart. They go undefeated on their first homestand at the end of November, 
grabbing wins against the Rockets, Celtics, Suns, and Wizards. They continue to roll through the first three weeks of December. By the time they take the court in Los Angeles to face the surging Lakers on December 22nd, they have the Western Conference's best record at 21-6. Only the 22-4 Milwaukee Bucks are better. How great is this team? This is Ryan Blackburn, the site manager of Denver Stiffs, commenting about the Nuggets' hot start on his show, Nuggets Numbers. There may not be another better team in the association right now. I mean, the Milwaukee Bucks are close, don't get me wrong. I just don't see them competing with what Denver's putting out there on a consistent basis. I mean, Nikola Jokic is having another MVP caliber year. I just can't get past how great this team looks right now. There is no other team in the NBA better than your Denver Nuggets. Even though the Bucks have a better record, it's kind of like, it would be like if you took the British baking show and combined it with Top Chef. And it's like, this is another Denver Stiffs podcast called The Dig, hosted by Jeremy Poley and Nick Herzog. And you got so sorry you got 10 out of 10 on your gingerbread house, but come on, like... It's at this point the NBA is two different shows, and the Eastern Conference is the British Baking Show, and the Western Conference is Top Chef. So I'll take the nine and a half star, you know, Nuggets over whatever gingerbread house the the Bucks have. I mean, I I don't really have any idea what you were just talking about, but all I know is the good. Nuggets have been playing great. Jokic is playing like an an MVP, which I you know I think we all expected. It turns out he does have another level. Um, I wrote a piece early early in the season for the stiffs where I, where I wondered what his next level was, if there was actually a statistical next level, or if it was really more of an intangible next level, a kind of a mental thing, man, seems like he has his, his mind, right. He's been putting up even better numbers uh, than last year slightly. I mean, last year's numbers were fantastic, but you know, he's, he's a little bit ahead on assists, uh, a little bit ahead on points uh, even from last year. So we're getting everything we wanted out of him. Uh, Murray's defense has definitely improved. You know, Grant has been a, a great, addition to this team. I think we saw that from really early on in the season, um, the energy and I mean, I'm happy um, to see that stuff. This is, but we're kind of seeing what we saw in the playoffs. To me, the biggest difference is that we finally have our bench back. The nuggets are not the only Denver team that feels on top of the world. After producing an experimental docuseries to preview the season, The hosts of The Dig are catapulted into the national spotlight when Bill Simmons retweets their show to his 5.8 million followers. Within weeks, the hosts are making their rounds. I mean, Bill, I don't know if you know how much clout you have (laughs) in sports media circles, but yeah, you basically made us famous uh, from one tweet. Still getting feedback a week later for it. Man, that's so crazy. Like, we just were, uh, you know, wanting to do something creative this season as a kind of a preview. We had no idea that it would, you know, anybody would even listen to it or care or anything. And, and certainly not that uh, it would get, you know, picked up by any kind of national outlet, let alone, you know, the pod father himself. So we can't thank you enough, Bill, for what you've done for, for our show and for, you know, giving some exposure to Denver Stiffs. We're just a uh, dream podcast. I mean, you know, it when it's happening, you're like, all right, I'll never stop it. Yeah. I mean, I think. You know, we had an inkling that things were really working out well, uh, kind of as we got, you know, some early feedback. You do kind of get the sense, like when you're working on something, that it's just clicking. Like, you know, I have this sense that there's something there. 
Twitter was the game changer in a lot of ways. You have a funny bit in a show. People are tweeting about it. It's getting forward. It's getting Yeah, re- absolutely. I mean, you know, at no point in the past could somebody like me, you know, just with a setup in my home office, you know, put something out into the world and actually have, you know, people find it and, and listen to it and, and appreciate it. Things could not be going better for the Nuggets and their fans. Which means, of course, that Nug Life is right around the corner. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. In what should be a statement win for the Nuggets, they suffer a major setback. Barton swings the ball to Harris, drop it down to Millsap. Millsap drives, uh-oh, Millsap's down, and it doesn't look good. It looks like he's stepped on LeBron's foot. Oh, you hate to see this. The Nuggets go on to beat the Lakers 114-105, to riding a solid team effort. Seven players put up double figures in scoring, led by Gary Harris's 25. Jokic racks up his fifth triple-double, and the Nuggets improve their record to 22-6. and six. But the win comes with a price. The Millsap injury looms large over a team still finding its defensive footing. At just 16th in the league in defensive rating, the Nuggets need their best defensive players to step up as the team heads towards the All-Star break. Millsap, who is probably the Nuggets' best defender at this point in the season, leaves a gaping hole in the paint. You know, we're entering the uncharted territory that I've been worried about ever since people have been throwing Millsap under the bus after his first injury, his first season with us, which is, what does our defense look like when Jokic loses, you know, one of the best all-around off-ball defenders in the league? So this worries me. It does. I don't know. What do you Look, think? I, I, it, dude, I actually think this could be a positive thing. Honestly, he was blocking Jeremy Grant. I think you're taking it a little too far. Um, blocking Jeremy Grant, I think, is a little ridiculous. That's like saying Michael Jordan was blocking Bobby Hansen. Like, I don't even oh, know okay. how I still know that guy's name, but nobody else will. <laughs> yeah, blocking maybe wasn't the, the exact right word. I apologize, Millsap. Early on in the season... I think a lot of us saw pretty clearly that Jeremy Grant was already a better player than Paul Millsap. I mean, you were seeing it in articles like after the Phoenix game. Um, people were starting to say like, okay, is it time for Millsap to to take a back seat here? Um, I know he's a 30 million guy on the team and, and he's he's been a, a, a strong veteran presence. But at some point, I mean, you look at the lineup with Jeremy Grant in it with the starters and it's been one of their better lineups through the course of the year so far. I really, I just don't see a big step back. Here, I think as long as Vanderbilt can come in and do a serviceable job for for the bench, I think. Right, and I think that's the theme, is that this force that the Nuggets have going is just unstoppable at this point. 
Yeah, I mean, at, at, yeah, it's hard to imagine, you know, outside of a Jokic injury, uh, really anything slowing this team down right now. They are just absolutely rolling and clicking on all cylinders. Actually, you don't want clicking cylinders, <laughs> do, do you? <laughs> uh, dude, shut up. You know what I mean. His loss is felt immediately. In what proves to be a major trap game, the Nuggets drop a back-to-back in Phoenix the following night. DeAndre Ayton, who has just returned from a 25-game suspension, absolutely torches the Nuggets' interior defense. He puts up 38 and grabs 16 boards en route to one of the best games of his young career. Two days later on Christmas Day, the Nuggets face another young big man. Zion Williamson returns from injury on a mission, and he absolutely humiliates the Nuggets' defense again. His monster dunk over Jokic in the third becomes the first poster of his career. Coach Malone has had enough of this defense. Right now we have no leadership. Uh, We have no veteran leadership on this team stepping up. Um, Don't hear anybody speaking, taking the lead. Um, We have two young guys trying to speak up on the team's behalf, which is, uh, you know, you applaud them, but we need some leadership to shine and step up when we are struggling, which we are. Uh, and for us, offensively, 113 points, 49 from the field, 18 threes, 29 assists, and you lose because you have zero defense. So that's uh, a losing proposition. You know, uh, offense sells tickets and defense wins championships. Malone's attempt to light a fire under his inexperienced team doesn't work. The slide continues. The Nuggets go 1-4 and four on the following road trip, losing to the Rockets, Pacers, Hawks, and Mavs. Now sitting at 24-13, and 13, they're fifth in the West, just a game ahead of the surprising Dallas Mavericks. There's plenty of blame to go around for the 2-7 and seven slide. Murray goes through a horrendous shooting slump, making just 8 of 37 threes and shooting 32% from the field overall. The bench also struggles to regain its rhythm after Grant moves into the starting lineup. The biggest issue, though, continues to be on the defensive end. The forwards, in particular, struggle to cover for Jokic and defend the three. Barton, as the starter, takes a lot of the heat for this. His offensive production has been steady. He's averaging 14 points a game on 45% from the field, with about five rebounds and four assists per game. But he is a liability on the defensive end, especially against the bigger forwards in the West. This issue comes to the forefront during four pivotal games, beginning on January 12th against the Clippers. Neither Barton nor Craig slow down Kawhi Leonard, and Michael Porter Jr. and Juancho Hernan Gomez have barely seen the court at this point. But it's Barton and his sizable contract who is guarding Kawhi when Kawhi hits the game winner at the buzzer for his 43rd point of the game. 17 days later, and still struggling, the Nuggets lose to their division rival, the Jazz, in a close game in Denver. And then they're blown out by 32 less than a week later in Utah. In between those two tough losses to the Jazz, the Nuggets get shredded in Milwaukee, led by Chris Middleton's eight threes. The team looks beaten, tired, done. The trade deadline is the following day. 
Here's how The Dig covers the breaking news on February 6th. Welcome back to Hour 2 of the Nuggets Trade Deadline Special. Mm. I know. Bottle it doesn't look like the whiskey special. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to do anything. If they don't do anything, I can never forgive them at this it's, point. I I know. It seems unbelievable, but I mean, this has been kind of the pattern. Dude, like, dude stop. What? Dude, refresh watch right now. Oh my. What? We got them. We got Iggy and we got... Uh okay, what is this? Snap. We got we got Iggy. We got um. Yuda want want to want wanna be. Don't know what, who. The, well, what? Huh? Uh, and we got a second round pick. Uh oh. All right. Bye bye, Bull Bull. So. Oh, not Bull Bull. Yeah, the package is uh is Barton, Bull Bull, and Wancho. Um. Man, yeah. early thoughts. Like I, I thought I would be more excited about a Barton trade than I am. Like that's what I was just thinking. It like hurts. It stings in a way. We've known these guys for too long. <sighs> Who knew? I was so attached. But man, here we go. Here we go. Iguodala. Uh, <sighs> the reactions are mixed. Will Barton is beloved by many fans and media members. He had outplayed the competition in preseason to earn his starting spot. And he had provided leadership and playmaking on a team with holes in both areas. You know, that that was hard for a lot of fans to swallow. It was hard for me to swallow. But This is Zach Mikosh, host of the Pickaxe Podcast, reflecting back on this pivotal moment in Nuggets history. Specifically by uh, big guards, big wings, that sort of thing. They needed to make a move. And Iguodala, even though he wasn't playing that great, um, he was kind of the natural fit and was the guy that was available to them. So... Honestly, I, you know, now we obviously in hindsight like that trade probably a little bit more, but it um, even in the, at the time, like it, it made sense. It made sense for the Nuggets to do it because uh, if you can if you can disassociate the player from the um, to the past and, and just look at his game, he was he was the perfect fit. Ryan Blackburn supported the trade. All right, let's get into it. The big news of the day. The Nuggets have traded for Andre Iguodala. They have to find a guy who can help bring up stops in the clutch moments. And they think that Andre Iguodala is the guy. I kind of agree with them. Iguodala, he didn't play that much for the Memphis Grizzlies this year, but he's not a regular season player. He's a guy that you stick in there in the playoffs and say, okay, down against Kawhi Leonard, but Andre Iguodala is the best guy for the job. After getting a bit of distance from their first reactions, the hosts of the dig try to size up the seismic deal. All right, Jeremy, buy or sell the Barton trade. I'm completely buying it. And I mean, for obvious reasons of what Iggy can do to shore up our defense, uh, we've been questioning who we can be in the playoffs. Uh, we've been struggling lately. That scares me. But at this point, we can kind of forget about the season we know we're going to be in it and so now we can finally be a team in the playoffs but i don't think we we a lot of people are mad about bull bull some people are mad about wancho about sacrificing our future like i i've been loving this yuta watanabe guy um i've been following him for a oh, while now he you know a lot about him he's yeah he's he's a like a six nine shooting guard it's going to be very interesting um 
when we were kind of doing some stuff during the off season on some prospects, he was a guy who kind of stood out to me. Um, I, I think it's kind of cool. Right. Um, nobody knows who he is or cares. This is entirely about Iguodala for Barton, essentially. And Wancho was thrown in to make the money work. Nuggets probably weren't going to be able to resign Wancho anyways. Um, or or maybe wouldn't even have the desire to. He's he's seen much much of the court this year anyway. Well, a, I, a lot of us like to spend less time watching the, like the ESPN highlights and actually like studying film on college players and seeing who the next Jokic's will be. That was a guy who wasn't on right. any sort of highlights. So just saying, it's yeah, part just of the nobody deal in this on this podcast. Well, um, sure, so fine. here's the thing, I. I thought I would I would I would be really excited to get rid of Barton. Um but Iguodala has barely played this year. He's only played in like 20 games. Um he's averaging like 6 points a game and a couple of rebounds or something. I mean but That's not why you get him. I know, but I I do we know? I mean, at this point the Nuggets need to get into the playoffs. Like they're really struggling. Right now, is this the guy that's really going to put you over the hump? I mean, I think this is a move you make for a, a team that thinks they're going to win a championship. You know, they're at the eighth seed right now. Every season balances out. We kn- knew it wasn't going to last forever. We're getting our losses now. We'll be fine. I, we, we need a build for the playoffs. And who cares about him getting six points in limited play time? The guy still has defensive chops. That's what we need is the size and defense and the intelligence that we need. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, at least this opens the door for Michael Porter Jr. Um, he's got no Wancho standing in his way now. We haven't seen very much of him this year so far. You know, what was it, eight games into the season before we even saw him in the first place? And, you know, the flashes that we've seen of him have been really promising. So, you know, everybody's been excited about about seeing more of him. Anything we can do to get him on the court, I'm for, I guess, in the long term. But man, I'm scared about what this does to the Nuggets this season. And if really they, I mean, he would be playing right now if he could play defense. We Malone has been saying this time and time again this season. So, as much as I'm excited about his future, yeah. But the whole reason they just traded Barton was because he was so bad on defense. That's right. <laughs> that's why you bring in Iguodala. Right. Exactly. And that's why you bring in Iguodala, and why Michael Porter Jr. isn't playing right now. If he could play defense, he would be out there. And we wouldn't be worried about this. And that's why Iggy's a smart move. The Nuggets split their next two games. But word gets out that Jokic and Malone are livid about the Barton trade. In an article in The Athletic, Nick Groke reports the following. Quote, On the record, Malone told me that he supports Tim Connolly in the front office and that he will move forward with the players he has. However, Sources close to the team assure me this was not his decision, and he is furious that TC didn't consult with him before making the deal. Going into a huge rematch with the Lakers just before the All-Star break, the Nuggets are 30-24, and 24, sitting in the 8th seed in the hyper-competitive Western Conference and in desperate need of a statement win to get their season back on track. Iguodala plays his first game in a Nuggets uniform since 2013, when he had left Denver for Golden State and five championship runs. Iggy plays well in 22 minutes off the bench, and he guards LeBron well in the final minutes of a close game. 
But that is not the storyline that dominates the headlines following the Nuggets 108-104 loss. The ball goes down to Jokic. He spins. Howard clobbers him. Oh my, Jokic just hit Tony Brothers in the head with the ball. And Jokic is hot. And he's been ejected. Howard hit Jokic. No call on that. And Jokic has been ejected. He threw the ball. And it hit the referee Tony Brothers. Not sure if the big guy meant to throw it at him. He was out of control. But he's been tossed. You have to think Nikola is going to miss some time now. It's not what the Nuggets need. The Nuggets' only all-star and the centerpiece of their franchise and championship hopes is suspended for 10 games two days later. Upon appeal, the suspension is reduced to eight, but the damage is already done. All right, Jeremy, fill in the blank. The Jokic suspension is blank. Inescapable. This has been a problem that Jokic has had ever since he's come into the league. And it's not getting any better. And we know the way the league is going to react to these things. So that was on Malone to do something about it. Let your coach handle the situation. Let your coach get ejected. Like, what a perfect time in that that arena like what what a perfect message that would have sent to the players to everybody else for Malone to go out there and chew out Terry Brothers and get himself thrown out as opposed but that's the to problem. Tony Brothers Malone never does that he didn't he, get the chance he to, always just Jokic sits there his, his lid like of course he did <sighs> Jokic was getting hacked in that game the the Lakers shot 23 free throws to the Nuggets six free throws no this is why with the Nuggets as the aggressor this is why I said it inescapable rather than justified I wanted to say justified because he totally deserves it but inescapable in that Jokic needs to finally figure out that he is the leader of this team in character as much as he is in performance and now Jokic is suspended for eight games, that's eight more losses. We really might, this might be the worst, most historic, like, loss. I can't even get my words right right now. The, the worst season in the history of the NBA. Let's just say that. We're on our path because of Jokic, because of this action. No, they, no, the Nuggets are, they would not be in the position they're in right now without Jokic. That's absurd. They're, the Jokic is trying is to light a fire under this team because Malone won't do it. The position right? and he just reacts with eight more losses on the uh, way. How can you not see that? That's not that? Jokic's fault, obviously. He's been playing great. That's not his, 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 okay. Should Jokic control his emotions a little bit more? Yes. I mean, we all know this. That would be nice, and it would save us from these occasional moments where he has he has some absurd ejections or technical fouls, but. He should not be suspended for eight games. This is crazy talk. He wasn't intending to throw the ball at Tony Brothers. It just happened to hit him. It's like suspending a guy for just like running into the ref like while he's charging at another player or something like that. I mean, if it happens just accidentally, it's not a suspendable offense or at least 
you know, maybe it's a game or something. I mean, this eight-game suspension is absolutely absurd, and it's only happening because of Jokic's reputation with the league. So he's there are a number of refs that. in this league who hate it's him, and Tony Brothers is one moment. of them, and we all know that. All you want to do is argue one little moment and say this causes this, so this should be this. Well, it's pointless. We know the bigger gravity to the situation. I can't believe you aren't as mad at Jokic as I am. <sighs> no, he's a human being. He just reacted in the moment. He had something happened. He got hit in the face. He's sick of getting hit in the face. So he throws the ball in a in a moment of of passion of of of, of emotion and threw That's our just a season human down thing. the drain. Through no, our championship Tony Brothers window threw our down season the down the drain. Whatever, man. The Nuggets and their fans limp into the All Star break. At thirty and twenty five, they are now behind Golden State for the eighth seed in the West. But. Nug Life isn't done chewing up the 2020 Nuggets or their fans. Just before the All-Star game, the dig, which had been riding a wave of popularity since November thanks to increased interest in the Nuggets and the showrunner's creative efforts earlier in the season, records its final episode. All right, Nick, over under one Nuggets fan caring about the All-Star game now that Jokic won't be there. Well, I guess I got to take the over because, I mean, I'm going to be at the All-Star game. Bill got me tickets. What? Dude. Yeah. Hold on. We're not going to record this, but, like, you're just going to drop that on the podcast? You didn't even say anything to me? Like, Well, I, I mean, you first... didn't make the interview. How are you? I was the first <laughs> Why would Bill person give that you tickets? out to. And then just because he Dude. has to do it sooner and he is able to reach out to you and you're able to get on the show Ooh. rather than the well, two of us. Well, this is what happens when you don't make the show your priority, Jeremy. <laughs> you don't get hooked up by Bill Simmons, you know. I was that's, the that's one who happens. got the first message. I was the one who responded. Oh, what, my goodness. What do you not get about this? So because you were lucky it happened to be on Twitter a second before I was to get his message, you, you think that that somehow entitles you to all-star, t- all-star game we're tickets? We're on the show together. Oh my gosh, you're going to be at the All-Star game with Bill. And you do Yeah. No. Nope. Nope. The Dig, which is still a ratings juggernaut for Denver Stiffs, is turned over to longtime friend of the show, Lad DeJong, who takes the podcast in a different direction. All right, let's get this over with. You're listening to The Dig with Lad. My show now because Nick and Jeremy can't be bothered. They're too busy being unimportant somewhere else. Guys, after another, just another embarrassing loss, it's only right that today we celebrate Festivus. We're celebrating Festivus because I have a lot of problems with you people. And since Jeremy's a coward and he won't face me for the traditional feats of strength, we're going to go right into the airing of grievances. And I've got some grievances today, guys. Malone's rotations. Can the man actually coach? Or is he just drawing straws for his fourth quarter lineups? They don't make sense. We're also going to talk about our new savior, Mr. Andre Iguodala. You know what? I don't even think he hits the floor. I think he's too busy in his next prayer group with Mark Jackson in a chapel somewhere, figuring out how he's going to screw over the Nuggets once again and join his next team, ESPN, as a play-by-play commentator for the Cursed Warriors. But before we get into all that, let's dig on the man that was sent back in time to destroy your Denver Nuggets, Mr. Tony Brothers. Nick and Jeremy both start their own competing podcasts. 
Nick drops the first episode of The Spring of Our Discontent, A Poet Laments a Lost Season, on February 20th. The show features Nick reciting reworked classic poetry. Let us go then, you and I. When the evening is spread out against the sky, like a Nuggets player euthanized upon a table. Let us go, through certain half-deserted games, the muttering retreats of restless nights in one-night cheap seats, and sawdust sports bars with oyster shells. Places that follow like a tedious argument of insidious intent to lead you to an overwhelming question. Oh, do not ask, will they win? Let us go and drink our gin. Two hours later, Nick's former co-host launches his own rebranded podcast. Episode one of Food is Basketball and Other Meditations by Jeremy Poley concludes its inaugural show like this. And that's why for the true basketball connoisseur, the aficionado with a palate of true discernment, this season's greatest joy goes beyond the dance of the win-loss column. Uh, it transcends the tension of the sweet and the sour. And we begin an entirely new adventure where seeing is experienced as hearing, where touch is experienced as smell. Yes, the Knicks, only the Knicks, offers the true basketball tastemaker the depth of NBA umami. Both shows are a catastrophic failure. Next time on Breaking Basketball, a Nug Life story. So where were you at when that shot went down? Oh, I'm... I'm... I'm sorry, Please. Here, here, here. Take a tissue. Here we go. Nuggets down. 103-101. 12 seconds left. Grant will inbound. Murray has it. Dumps it down to the Joker. Turns. Jump hook.